Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Second Timothy, chapter one. And while you turn there, just let me remind you, if you would, please, remember to pray for my mother. She has surgery sometime today to re- do a partial hip replacement. I know she'd appreciate your prayers. I spoke to her on the phone last night. Said that we'd uh, I'd mention the church to remind you to pray for her. So please pray for her today. If you think about it, as she goes for surgery. Second Timothy chapter one. And let's read just verses 9 and 10, please. For the saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to, our, to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and has brought to life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come together and we can study your word. We thank you for the freedom we have. We thank you, Father God, for the availability of your word. We thank you for the trustworthiness of your word. We thank you, Father God, that your word is divinely inspired and that, Father, we can study it, know what it is that you have said, and then, Father God, seek to understand what you mean in replying it to our lives. And I do pray, Father God, you guide today that we'd get the sense of your word and then we'd apply that truth to our lives. And that, Lord, as we worship together today, we'd lift you up, we'd exalt you and praise you. Use me, I pray, Father God, to be used as a blessing today. Give me wisdom, I pray. And just may we receive your word of thanksgiving. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it seems that some people treat their salvation just like a child would treat a Christmas gift or a Christmas toy or a birthday gift or a birthday toy. You know, first they spend a lot of time with it, playing with it, enjoying it for a few short days, but then they lay it aside, they disregard it and don't play with it again for seemingly a long time. But you know, when it comes to our salvation, that's not how it ought to be with us. With our salvation, which is far more precious than any Christmas gift, far more precious than any birthday toy or birthday present, you and I ought to cherish it as such. With that in mind, this morning we'll continue to look at some things that make our salvation great. And today I wanted to note with me that it's so great because of its preparation. It's so great because of its preparation. In a nutshell, God planned and prepared our salvation in eternity past. I want you to note with me several aspects of this preparation here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Firstly, we read in verse 9, Who hath saved us? First thing we note about the preparation is the verse here, it says, Who hath saved us? This phrase, hath saved us, speaks of a completed action. In fact, it speaks of completed action in the past. This action's complete, hath saved us. This is a finished, completed action. Notice the apostle says, who hath, past tense, hath saved us. It speaks of the completeness of salvation. It speaks of the completeness of salvation in the past. That this act of salvation was something that was ordained of God, prepared of God, and completed In respect to salvation, that work is done. It was planned and it was prepared 
by God, particularly in eternity past. That as far as God's mind was concerned, when God decreed that he would save mankind, it was a settled fact in eternity past. God had decided that he would save those who believe in Jesus Christ in eternity past. It speaks of the security of our salvation. He planted eternity past. He secured it for us at Calvary. And now all we need to do is receive that finished work of Christ on Calvary by faith. God had prepared for this. Not only had he planned for it, which we saw last time, he prepared for this. He made all the preparations. He set in motion the, the means by which he would send his son to die upon the cross of Calvary so that we might be saved. He did everything that was necessary for our salvation. And that's what he says in 2 Timothy 1.9 here. Who hath saved us? In the mind of God, salvation was completed before the foundation of the world. The preparation was done. And then he enacted all the steps along the way to ensure that you and I could be saved by faith in Christ. You know, this verse is speaking of the determination of God to save sinners. Even before he actually saved anybody, this was God's determination. This was God's plan, God's preparation to save us. Even before he ever saved anyone, God determined to save sinners like you and I. One preacher gave this illustration. He said, in olden times of imprisonment for debt, it would have been quite correct for you to step into the cell of the debtor and say to him, I have freed you if you had paid his debts and obtained an order for his discharge. Well, but he is still in prison. Yes, but you really liberated him as soon as you paid the debt. That's the point here. You know, the prisoner is still in jail even though you've paid the debt. The prisoner is still there until you actually go into the jail and say you're set free. The prisoner is not free. Well, the same as with Christ and Calvary and our salvation. God finished it, prepared it in eternity past, finished it at Calvary. And now by faith we believe in Jesus Christ. Well, you know, you and I as believers are part of God's great eternal plan. God's determined plan to save mankind. God planned this. In eternity past. There was no chance. Because God had planned this, prepared this. There was no chance that it would not be, uh, would not eventuate. There was no chance that it would not occur. There was no chance that it would not be secured by Christ on Calvary. This was God's predeterminate decision to save sinners like you and I. And nothing was going to prevent that. <coughs> Excuse me. So the word of God could say, hath saved us. You know, Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, according to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. God's preparation for our salvation was monumentous. It was meticulous and it was predetermined. And so through salvation, we're partakers of God's eternal plan. The whole tenor of this verse 9 of 2 Timothy Chapter 1, the whole tenor of the verse leans towards the strong affirmation of what Jonah stated with regard to the doctrine of salvation. You know, Jonah said this, he said, the salvation is of the Lord. That salvation is of the Lord. And this verse, this passage, is all about explaining to you and I that salvation is of the Lord. To say that it's of ourselves is an utter absurdity. 
We believe that God the Father was the architect, sketched the plan, supplied the materials, and he completed the work through Jesus Christ on Calvary. Somebody said, shall it also be said, those who are redeemed redeem themselves? The slaves of Satan break their own fetters. Then why was the Redeemer needed at all? Do you believe that the sheep of God, whom he has taken between the jaws of the lion, could have rescued themselves? Can the dead make themselves alive? The answer is no. Your person is saved when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work upon Calvary, that's when salvation takes place for us. The debt's already been paid. The plan had already been made. The predetermination had already been made. The preparation set in place. Christ died on Calvary. And you and I were still in prison. And when you and I accept by faith what Christ has done for us, we are indeed set free. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. The apostle says this, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. This is a faithful saying. The word faithful means reliable or trustworthy. This is a faithful, this is a trustworthy saying. And somebody said that it's like the, this, this word faithful, this word trustworthy, reliable, is like a granite rock standing at the head of the sentence. It's there to ensure that we understand the trustworthiness of what's being, about to be said, that we understand the special importance about what we're about to read, that we understand that what's about to be said is a secure fact. There's this granite rock standing at the beginning of it, this, this faithful saying, this reliable saying, this trustworthy saying, what's about to be said can be guaranteed to be true. It's not a mere formula, but it's a considered judgment. The saying is reliable and faithful that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. You can count on it. You can rely upon it because it's a faithful saying. You see, God planned our salvation. He made all the preparations in eternity past, and then he sent his son to die upon the cross of Calvary to secure that salvation so that sinners might be saved by faith in him. That's a secure saying. That's a faithful saying. That's a reliable saying. And that's what makes this salvation so great. He hath saved us. Now, secondly, so great because he has called us. Verse 9 of Second uh, Timothy chapter 1. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now it says he has, hath called us and he has called us with a holy calling. That is he has called us unto holiness. He has called us unto a holy calling. In other words, you and I are saved unto something. Not only are we saved from something, we're saved from sin, we're saved from condemnation, we're saved from judgment, we're saved from eternal separation from God and the lake of fire, we're saved from all those things. That's what we're saved from. But once you and I are saved, we're saved unto something. 
And all of us who are saved, we're saved unto a holy calling. We're saved unto holiness. It's a call to consecrated service. His purpose for his people is that he will ensure his glory. And part of that purpose is calling you and I as believers to that which leads to holiness. You know, God prepared our salvation in eternity past, but he also prepared for our sanctification. God was meticulous in preparing for salvation, making sure that the decree at eternity past was made, making sure that Jesus Christ came and died upon the cross of Calvary to save us from our sins. They were all done. That was God's meticulous preparation for our salvation. But God also made preparation for our sanctification, that you and I would be saved unto sanctification. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 says this, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. You and I are called unto a vocation. The word vocation is the word calling. You and I are called unto a calling. When we really understand how much God did for us, when we really understand all the preparation that went into our salvation, then it ought to naturally produce in you and I a desire to serve Him, a desire to obey Him, and a gratitude for what He's done for us. But also because we understand that God saved us unto a holy calling. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, please. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14, a well-known voice. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He presses towards the mark of the high calling. The result of this consecration, the result of our salvation, is that you and I are called upward to a high calling. You and I have a higher calling. The calling is under holiness. The calling is under a holy calling to be sanctified by Him. The commentator Barnes said this, God has called us to great and noble efforts, to a career of true honor and glory, to the obtainment of a bright and imperishable crown. The calling of the Christian is from heaven and to heaven. We have, he has been summoned by God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to secure the crown. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We've been saved from glory to glory. You and I got saved, we were justified. One day you and I will be glorified, and in the meantime we're to be sanctified. Salvation is designed for our sanctification. That you and I will be set apart under God that you and I would live for Him, that you and I would bring glory to Him, that you and I would live holy lives for Him. We're saved from sin unto sanctification. Hebrews 3.1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Christianity is a calling, a holy calling. It's a calling in which you and I as believers ought to labor in. All who have been saved are to be sanctified. Because we've been called unto a holy calling. 
Now, this will have its completion one day when you and I are glorified. You and I have been saved unto a holy calling, and ultimately that holy calling is our glorification. You and I will indeed be holy as He is holy. There's a day coming when you and I will be separated from sin forever. You and I will have no desire to sin anymore. You and I will be from its presence and we and I will be free from its power. And you and I will indeed be in glory and we're glorified and we'll be like unto Christ. And in that day, you and I will be holy as He is holy. We'll be what we need to be. We'll be glorified. We'll be like Him for we'll see Him as He is. When we were justified, He forgave us our sins, He cleansed us, He made us new creatures in Christ so that you and I could one day be glorified. And in the meantime, He desires for you and I who are justified to live lives that are sanctified, set apart unto Him. That we're living according to our holy calling. We're going to be holy as He is holy, Peter tells us. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4.4 says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. The will of God for us is our sanctification, that we be set apart unto God. The will of God for us is that we should possess our vessel, this body, in sanctification and honor. You know, God didn't save you and I so that we can live as we please. He didn't save us so that we could do our will. He didn't save us so that we can walk any way that we want to walk or talk any way that we want to talk, that we walk and talk like the world. He saved us to be like Christ. He saved us and desires for us to be sanctified. He hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. He saved us unto a holy calling. Part of the preparation for our, of our salvation was that we would be set apart from the world, to be different from the world. And one day that we would be glorified. He has justified us. He desires for you and I to be sanctified and he wants to sanctify us daily so that we might bring glory to Him, that we might be holy as He is holy, that we might be living unto our holy calling. And one day He'll glorify us. That makes our salvation great. Not only hath He saved us, secured, prepared and secured our salvation, but He hath sanctified us. He has a plan for our life, a holy calling being saved is just the beginning once we get saved god's desire for you and i is for you and i to live up to our holy calling thirdly salvation is so great because it's not according to our works look at verse 9 again who has saved us called us with a holy calling not according to our works now you and i all know we're not saved by works for by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of work uh, of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. We know that truth. We know that we're not saved 
by works. We're saved by grace through faith. We're saved because of His mercy. We're saved because of His forgiveness. And that's what the point is here. That you and I have been saved. He hath saved us. He hath called us a holy calling according and not according to our works. One preacher put it this way. The world's great preaching is do as well as you can. Live a moral life and God will save you. The gospel preaching is this. Thou art a lost sinner. Thou canst deserve nothing of God but his displeasure. If thou art to be saved, it must be by an act of grace. And that's exactly what he says here. Not according to our works. Then he goes on to say this. He says, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Not according to works, but according to his purpose and grace. It wasn't for anything great that we did. Nor anything great that we have done. Or anything great that we are that he saved us. The reason why God saves sinners is because it fits with his purpose. It's because he wanted to save us. We don't deserve salvation. When God looks at you and I as sinners, there, there is nothing in us that is savable. There's nothing lovable about us. All of our righteousness are filthy rags. And so when he looks at us, he sees us as sinners. And he doesn't save us according to our works, but he saves us, according to this verse, according to his own purpose and his grace. He saves sinners like you and I because that's what God wanted to do. This was his purpose. This was his plan. It's his grace because it fits with his eternal purpose. When he saved us, he didn't save us because of our works. When he called us, he did not call us to holiness because of who we are. He did not form his, form his eternal purpose for believers regarding our salvation and our sanctification because he somehow foresaw that you and I would indeed be holy. The whole plan of salvation and our sanctification is irrespective of our works. He hath chosen us, he hath saved us and chosen us according to, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This is all of God. Our salvation and our sanctification and our glorification are all of him. From salvation to sanctification to ultimate glorification, God is the author of it all. As much as he did all the work in saving you and I, and he did because there's nothing in us that could enable us to save ourselves, in that he did all the work in saving us, so he is the one who will do all the work in sanctifying us and ultimately glorifying us. You see, the wonderful thing about salvation is this, that at the point of salvation, you and I receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. And as you and I surrender to the Spirit, you and I will not walk in the flesh, but will walk in the Spirit and will bring glory to God. He has enabled us through His Spirit to have the power to live a holy life, to live unto our holy calling. It's not according to our works. 
but it's according to his purpose and his grace that you and I are to be sanctified and ultimately glorified. Somebody said the purpose is not founded on foreseen merit, but upon grace alone. It's grace, all grace, nothing but grace from first to last. It's all of grace, not of works. In order for you and I to really appreciate our salvation, we've got to understand what God has done. In order to shut out all boasting and all misunderstanding here, he then goes on to explain even further. Notice what he says. He says, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us. Okay? It's a gift. It's not of works. It's according to his purpose, his grace, and it's a gift. You and I are saved and sanctified because it's a gift of his grace. It doesn't say he was sold us, or which he offered us, but it says, which he gave us. Both salvation and sanctification are a free gift from God. He gave us eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. The whoso believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a free gift to all who believe. Sanctification is an enabling of God that God gave to us freely. All believers have within them the power of the Holy Spirit to enable them to live sanctified lives. And ultimately, He will glorify us, not because of anything we have done, not because of how we've lived, not because of the life that you and I have engaged in, simply because He promised when He justified us, He would glorify us. That's His promise to us. It's a free gift. We can't lose glorification, beloved. We're going to see in this series the assurance of salvation. We can't lose that. If you're justified, you will be glorified, irrespective of what happens in between. It's God's promise to you and I. Now, you and I ought to live godly lives in between. You and I ought to bring glory to God in between through the power of the Spirit. But the promise of God is that what He has saved us, He's called us, and you and I will ultimately, if we're justified, if we're saved, will ultimately be glorified. That's God's promise. Truly, this is so great salvation, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm glad it's all of God. I'm glad there's nothing in this that's of me. Because if it was left up to me, if God saved me by grace, then left the rest to me, I'd mess it up umpteen times I'd be continually on my knees dealing with it because I messed up with no certainty no guarantee that I'm going to be glorified I'm so thankful that from the beginning to end it's all of God it's all of his grace it's all according to his purpose and his grace not according to my works but it's a free gift that's what makes our salvation so great it's not about us. It's not left to us. We can't mess it up. 
I'm glad of that. We can mess up our daily walk. That's true. We can mess up our relationship with him daily. That's true. We can mess up our lives and make a mess of our lives. But we can't mess up salvation if we genuinely say through faith in Jesus Christ, we will be glorified. That's God's promise. So great. Salvation. And note, fourthly, salvation is so great because it's in Christ before the world began. Notice what it says there at the end of verse 9 which was given us in Christ before the world began. You know, God directed his gracious work towards us when we only existed in God's knowledge. This is before the world began. This is before man was ever created, before Adam and Eve ever sinned. Before all of that, before God ushered the first words in the beginning, God created, before those words ever came into existence, in eternity past, before the world began, God decreed that he would save us and call us to a holy calling in Christ Jesus. He determined that everybody who is in Christ, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior, this is a guarantee he will save. He will call into a holy calling and he will glorify them. That's his promise. These words forever lay aside all idea of anything of our merits in salvation, or anything of our merits for that matter in our glorification, because God gave us grace before the world began. This was determined before ever he created us. Amazingly, and he still went ahead and created us, knowing exactly what a mess we were going to make of it. But this is God's predeterminate plan for you and I. You know, just as a couple lovingly plans and prepares for a baby before that baby is born, so God planned and prepared for our salvation and sanctification before ever we were saved, before ever we were created. You know, it's been said, I'm glad God did it before the foundation of the world because if he would have waited until I started living my life, he would never have done it. You know, God's purpose and grace were revealed by the appearing of Jesus Christ. So he says here, he says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Christ is the means by which this salvation was revealed to us. It revealed at the appearing of our Savior. Look in Titus chapter 2, please. Titus chapter 2. Well known verses. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and will of us, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, salvation has appeared. Grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, and appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. At his coming, Christ fulfilled God's eternal plan for you and I. Notice it says in verse 10, but is now manifest by the appearing of our Lord, uh, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. All of everything he said in verse 9 has been manifested 
by the appearing of Jesus Christ. At his coming, he fulfilled God's eternal plan. And now we know what God's plan was. The purpose to save us was long concealed, but the Savior came and made it known. And when Jesus came, notice what he did in verse 10. He says, But now hath made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. The first thing he did was abolish death. Death is death no more for the believer. You know, that's why one way that God's word describes death for the believer is as sleeping. It's not because we're unconscious but it's because it's a place of peace and rest. Death for the believer is not death. Death does not take anything from the Christian. It graduates into glory or her to glory. One commentator says the Christian does not die when his body and his soul are for a time divided. He has his, in his spirit, that is, in himself, his truest self, a life which is eternal, from the moment he believes and trusts in Christ, from the mo that moment he hath eternal life. He hath abolished death. When Christ died on Calvary, he abolished death. He died and rose again the third day, and because he is risen, we also can rise. Christ also, according to this verse, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The understanding of the afterlife was murky at best in the Old Testament. But when Jesus Christ came, he made it known about heaven and hell. In fact, he, made, he speaks more about heaven and hell than anybody else in the Word of God does. Probably because he created both of them and knows most about them than anybody else does. But Jesus Christ, while he was here on earth, spelled out the principles of heaven and hell taught about them. He made it known. He brought to life and immortality. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He made it clear. He helped us understand life and immortality. We understand what it was to live for God. He's a living example of holiness. He's what we ought to be. We ought to be like Christ. But he is also an example of immortality. He died and rose again the third day. Conor Gusick said this, Jesus brought the truth about our immortal state to life through his own resurrection. He showed us what we are, what our own immortal bodies would be like and assured us that we would, be, would in fact have one. Jesus Christ made us understand what it means to have life and immortality and light through him. The word has brought to light means to give light, to shine, to make known. The sense is that these things were before obscure. These things were murky at best. They were unknown. And that they have been disclosed to us by the gospel. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 15, please. 1 Corinthians 15. And verse 51. 
Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised from incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abandon the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And they great verses, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the point of First Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter one and verse ten. He hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Through the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what He did for us on the cross of Calvary so that you and I might be saved. Somebody said the good news of who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross can be thought as the links connected together in a beautiful chain of God's work. The links connected together in a beautiful chain of God's work. God planned our salvation. God made all the preparations necessary for our salvation, beginning for us eternity past before time began. And it continued when the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, came. He made all the preparations for our sanctification. And it gives us the empowering of the Spirit the moment that you and I are saved. And he came to us when He saved us and continues as we live our holy calling. As you and I are sanctified, one day you and I will be glorified. One day you and I will find ourselves in heaven we will be immortal glorified experiencing eternal life all because of what God did when he prepared salvation for us he hath saved us and he hath called us and he saved us unto a holy calling and he did that not by our works but according to his purpose and his grace as a free gift in Jesus Christ so that you and I might experience the joy of not dying, but living eternally through faith in Him and faith in the finished work of Christ preached in the gospel. Somebody said, if Christ were not the life, the dead could never live. If He were not the resurrection, they could never rise. Had He not the keys of hell and death, we could never break through the bars of death or the gates of hell. But Christ is the life. And in him we can be saved. No wonder God calls this so great salvation. No wonder Paul and the other apostles willing to go to jail and even die. Rather than be silent about this salvation. Because beloved, truly, our salvation is truly so great salvation. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for Second Timothy.
in chapter 1 and these two verses. And we thank you, Father God, that our salvation, our sanctification, are all of you. That you planned it, you prepared it, you saw it through to fruition. And that, Lord God, that we who are, sanctified, who are saved, who are justified, are guaranteed and promised in your word, we will also be glorified. So daily, Father God, help us to surrender to you and seek to be, live up to our holy calling and be sanctified. Father, commend your word to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name.